I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It's football and other F-words. Michael Gillum, Zach Lyons here. We want to talk to you today about just how bad the Jacksonville Jaguars are. Of course, that involves talking about Urban Meyer as well. We're definitely going to get into that. Come on. If you follow me anywhere on Twitter, you know how much I've been reveling in that trash hill. Um, Titans are on to the Steelers. Titans are looking good for the playoffs. We're going to discuss all of that. Zach, how are you today? I am doing great. The Titans, you know, got a shutout. They beat a bad team decisively. It's all you could ever ask for right now as a Titans fan, unless you're the many, many people on Twitter who always want more, who are never satisfied. It's, and, and, and I, I love the top of your notes, which is, you know, just, just looking at the box score, it's not loaded up and Titans fans aren't happy. And, and that's, that's where I want to start too, because the Titans win, they get a shutout 20 to nothing. Um, Titans run game was working. It was a very conservative and I said it openly during the game. It was a boring game, but the Titans get the win and they're out the door ready to play the Steelers. That should be enough, but it's not enough for some fans, Zach. Why are people pissed off? Because I guess it wasn't as decisive as they won in the box score. And And that's really what it comes down to is that whenever there is some argument and if they bring up box score, that's when you know that they really didn't watch the game, right? I mean, or they haven't watched games. They're just bringing in like little tackle stats or yard stats that really don't don't tell the whole story. And I get it. Twitter only allows so many characters, and maybe you think that's enough. But that's not really enough. And when you look at it, look, Ryan Tannehill threw it for 191 yards. He didn't have a passing touchdown except for he didn't throw an interception, which continues the streak against the Jacksonville Jaguars of not throwing an interception against them. The Titans really didn't have a rushing 100-yard rusher, 47 yards from Deontay Foreman, 16 from McNichols, Hillard, you know, was 13. Look, it's not sexy, right? But they didn't have to be sexy. And then that's what that win was about. The win was about really getting the defense on track and making sure that the, the offense didn't make mistakes. They're they're easing the offense in. You can t- there's a lot that you could take away from this game. The box score is not one of them. And people want people wanted the Titans to come in against this Jacksonville Jaguars team and just have, I guess, a hundred yard rusher, a hundred yard receiver and a 300 yard passer. That's what, what I expected that these fans want, but that's not what you're going to get really against this Titans team. If they don't have to do it, this is how they want to win. And people are going to have to understand the Titans want to win by a smothering defense time of possession and they would rather win 20 to zero than 42 to 28. I mean, that's just what this Titans team, if you listen to Mike Vrabel for the past four years, which listen, I don't blame you if you haven't listened to Mike Vrabel in the past four years, because some of the media still hasn't learned from Mike Vrabel in the past four years. So, you know, why should I expect the common fan to? But this is this is the Mike Vrabel wet dream game if you if you had to choose one shutting out a former employer in urban meyer embarrassing 
a division rival and just doing it in the ugliest way possible. And, and that's perfect. And, and I said last week that going forward, you know, someone like Julio Jones, if they're eligible to play, you know, you know, for the rest of the season, particularly this game, they need to show up now. A, it was a little wrong in that statement because of what we're discussing this morning. Julio was not exactly the most involved in this game. Now, the catches that he had, you know, he looked good. He didn't look hobbled. He didn't look, I mean, you know, turning, cutting, catching, making difficult catches, but it wasn't this blowout Julio Jones game. I mean, it, what do you have? Four catches, 33 yards. So I, I, I'm a little wrong at that. And, and here's why I'm wrong. The Titans game plan works for just running it down the Jaguars throat and running the clock out. Essentially where I'm going with this is that if you don't need to air it out and start looking at situations where, you know, you could get players in unnecessary situations, it's not needed, especially against the Jaguars. We're going into halftime. The team could tell, and I forget the reporter that put it out there. I, I know Buck was talking about it on his show yesterday. But the team essentially at halftime realized that they had the Jaguars on the ropes and they were going to be able to get a shutout if they kept doing what they were doing. So, yeah, it's it's kind of a boring, painful game to watch. It's probably not something that any Titans fan is eager to go back and watch again. But it's in the win column. It advances the Titans again towards you know better seating in the playoffs. You shut out a division rival. You, you've all but shut down the AFC South. Uh, it, it's what more can you want there? I mean, getting your first shutout at home since Christmas of 2000 is is a big deal. Look, shutouts matter. And what have we said about this team since the dawn of this podcast? They never just beat up on bad teams. They always right. keep it close. They beat up on a bad team. This is a dysfunctional bad team. They got four interceptions. They got 21 pressures. They, they, sure, they, they didn't have, you know, they weren't throwing bombs and, you know, going deep all the time and just, you know, beating the crap out of them offensively. But they, their time, they had uh, 13, almost 14 minutes more time of possession on offense. That's what they want. That's how you beat some of the better teams too, is time of possession. So it's not just beating a bad team. But this game plan is a, is a game plan that we have seen work against other teams. I mean, look at Kansas City. They, they just wanted to run and run and run and keep the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. This is a, there's a lot of good takeaways other than, oh, well, Ryan Tannehill didn't throw for 200 yards. He sucks. You know, there's a lot of good takeaways from this game, especially on the offensive side of the ball. There's, there's at least one major concerning takeaway, too. But... Yeah, to me, you got the Jacksonville Jaguars held to eight rushing yards. They only had eight rush attempts, and you forced – they only got nine first downs, and they threw four interceptions. This is the, the perfect game to bring your team back to the forefront of the AFC – but also just for the internal locker room confidence, you know, just it, a game like this where you shut out an opponent, you shut out 53 grown men on the other side. 
and it prevented them from even getting into the end zone, getting a field goal. That's a huge confidence boost for this Titans defense. And the offense getting through no major mistakes, no turnovers, that is huge for the offense because they're only going to get healthier. We, we've talked about that all year. This offense and this team is only going to get healthier. So when you put together a victory like this, this means a lot more than just what you see on profootballreference.com. And it's not to say that you can't have aspects of the game that bug you, because I do. I've got a couple this morning. Um, it, it's just my thing is don't be pissed off about the manner in which they win. But you can certainly be concerned about things like pass protection. Again, like a broken record. Talking about it again this morning, I'm not a big fan of seeing how many times Tannehill ends up on the field, ends up sprayed across the ground because Questenberry is getting used like a turnstile. So that's, that's still a big concern for me because Tannehill is one bad hit away from this entire offense coming apart. But again, it's not to say you can't have concerns. That's one of my biggest ones today. Yeah, you you should definitely have a concern about this Tennessee Titans offensive line because, I mean, the matchups are just going to be – it's just going to be bad. This offensive line has to get in sync. And now I will say that I think one or two of the sacks were on Tannehill. I think one of them was safely taking a sack, you know, to stay in bounds and eat up some clock and stuff like that. Like, you know, I I get that. But Questenberry and – you know, the, these guys, all of them, they just ever can't seem to put consistently back-to-back games of where they're all playing a lot better than what they have been. There's always seems to be one leaky faucet in this offensive line, and it, that's got to change. You know, these running backs that they have, the, the tight ends that they have, they're going to also have to start chipping and picking up their blocks too. Cause I think, uh, I think one of the sacks was on one of the running backs should have picked up the, the free blitzer that just decimated Ryan Daniel. Like in my opinion, this offensive line is not where it needs to be. Now we have seen this offensive line put together a performance against the Colts. So we, we know that it can be something, but, you know, with injuries in and out, I just don't know how they get any chemistry and consistency on this offensive line unless they just all stay on the field these last few games. They just have to. You know, that's, that's a real disappointing part of this offense has been the offensive line because I think it had such high expectations and it has not met any of the expectations. And there we we've said it on the podcast before, but there's there's a bleak outlook for this offensive line in the in the coming years that because of the Isaiah Wilson miss, because the staff shit the bed with whatever they're doing with Dylan Radens, and maybe he obviously he's a part of it too, because he's not playing well in practices or whatever. But you know, hitting, missing on your first round offensive line pick and your second round offensive line pick in back-to-back years is not the way to fix the offensive line's future. And it's just, it's, it's hitting them. It, the, the misses in the draft picks 
of those two draft picks are, are hitting them right now when they could be using some young blood in at these positions, they're just not getting it. Titans run game. Um, it's like we've been saying the last couple of weeks, it's not pretty, but it's working. Uh, Foreman 13 carries 47 yards, one touchdown, nothing sexy, but they moved the ball against this team. Um, you know, Tannehill, four carries for 29 yards. He also had himself a touchdown. Uh, and, and that was the bulkier op- offensive por- uh, performance right there in the red zone. I didn't get most of that sentence out without sounding like a mumbling jackass. But I, <laughs> but there it is. That's your rushing game right now. Now, again, you know, we, we've had uh, Diana Rossini in the last week go on Buck Rising show and, and say that, you know, they're kind of expecting Henry back right towards the end of the season, ready for the playoffs. Ian Rappaport has, has kind of echoed that um, leading into the football weekend last weekend. So Hefner has yet to mention Henry's name in the last, since he said that he wasn't coming back this year. So I find that laughable. Which I find funny. And and actually I'm I'm glad you brought that part up because um, I happened to catch outkick 360 yesterday and, and Paul PK gave a really good, kind of an explanation, a breakdown behind the scenes of what, how those like NFL live shows work with like Rappaport and Schefter. So like, as they lead into NFL Sunday, say like NFL live Rappaport's going to save a story, like a scoopy as on Derrick Henry, because they need to fill time, but they want to fill time with like good legitimate stuff to talk about. So they're just bloviating. So his, his assumption was that if, if Schefter was going to try to combat that, he was going to do it last night on, on Monday night football and Schefter had nothing to say. So I kind of like a little bit of that insight, but I'm like you, Zach, it's like this man has, you know, backpedaled and then gone silent on it. Yeah. Hey, look, the, the rushing attack, 34 carries 102 yards. That's almost a Derrick Henry stat line in itself. That's all you need. That's all this Titans team wants to do is carry it for 30 times and get at least 100 yards. So that's if the Titans can do that every week, that they're going to win games in their mind. That's what they feel like. Look, I don't think it's in a very aggressive game plan. I also kind of understand that you can only be so aggressive with Cody Hollister out there running routes right now. But eventually, uh, some team is going to sell out to stop the run. Now, whether that is the 49ers or the Dolphins, who both have legitimately good teams with with pretty good pass defenses here and there, depending on what week you get the 49ers, some team is going to sell out to stop the run. So you're eventually going to have to get aggressive through the air. This just wasn't one of those games. And... You know, you got the Steelers coming up. I, I don't think they're going to sell out to stop the run, but they may. I, I just think this is the type of game that they want. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, this run game, the the running back by committee, and we've said this since Derrick Henry went down, it doesn't matter if you have three guys with 40 yards. As long as you're getting over 100 yards and these three guys are getting you the production on the ground that would equal to Derrick Henry, teams will have to respect the run still. And you're getting that. You couldn't ask for more from Deontay Foreman, Hilliard, and uh, McNichols. 
I think Foreman needs to be the lead back. And now, obviously, he got a little injured uh, halfway through. So hopefully he's going to be fine going forward because you really don't want him to go down because he's running, I think, the best of the of the three backs right now. And you're exactly right. I mean, it's the running back by committee that we've been talking about. It's working for now, and Titans are getting production out of it. That's about the best you could ask for. I got to switch a little further down the line, though, Zach. I mean, apparently, according to Twitter, we're really missing out by not having Golden Tate out there. I mean, he just looks so fresh and quick and fast in his warm-ups. Uh, those, <laughs> I felt so embarrassed for him. When I saw that clip that Jim White put out of uh, Golden Tate, you know, running, at least he looked like he was running full speed. It just did not look like it was much faster than me. <laughs> and <laughs> that that is the problem with Golden Tate. Look, the Titans don't need Golden Tate. Right now, the Titans don't need him. In, in my opinion, you shouldn't want Golden Tate out there. Just because you recognize the name doesn't mean anything. And I think some people went way too hard in the last few off-seasons of uh, bring him home, and they can't come back from that, right? They can't accept it that, hey, I was totally wrong about Golden Tate, and I need to just lay off and just not mention his name. I mean, there's people that saying that he has to play, you know, or else. Like, I don't know what the or else is because you're a fan, but I mean, that's just what people are saying. Like, I don't, I don't get it. the The thing about it is, is that AJ Brown is available to come back after this game. Julio Joe after the Steelers game, and Julio Jones. I think the biggest takeaway for me out of this game was his press conference saying, basically, he's back. He's, he's fully healthy. There were no setbacks during the game, no little tweaks or anything. He's ready to rock and roll. And I think uh, a motivated Julio Jones with another week of practice with Ryan Tannehill, where it's basically just him, is good. I think it's actually kind of good that A.J. Brown is not on the practice field right now because Julio Jones is serving as the number one to build up chemistry and build up time that they lost in the offseason. Now, you wish they hadn't lost time in the offseason, right? But you got to make do with what you got. <clears throat> Golden Tate is not better than anybody that is. Listen, I'd rather have Cody Hollister out there running the routes because at least he's somewhat athletic. I mean, Golden Tate did not look good at all. And if you're expecting Golden Tate to play this Sunday and contribute this last Sunday, then he didn't listen to what Mike Vrabel said. He's still learning the playbook. He's still trying to get in football shape. And after seeing what I saw on Sunday in the pregame, he's got a long way to go to get in football shape. He's not better than Chester Rogers in the slot. And you have more upside with Racy McMath because I think that once McMath, I think they're going to start opening up the playbook for McMath. I think we saw it on the jet sweep. He's got the speed. They went deep for him. Obviously, he's been battling injuries, so they're going to bring him in a little bit slower. But you want to, if you're an offense, you want to start manufacturing some touches for Racy McMath. And right now, this team doesn't think that Golden Tate can contribute. He's still on the practice squad. I would not be surprised if once AJ Brown is activated, that Golden Tate is cut. And I 
will throw a party. I, I'm sorry about Golden to you, Golden Tate, but I'm sure Good Morning Football will love to have you back on. But give me a break about these players that are old and washed, but because they went to uh, Vanderbilt or they lived in Nashville or they went to high school over in Knoxville or what the fuck ever, does not matter. Okay, this bring him home bullshit spare me after this i'm so sick of it i'm this is like when uh tress win wanted to bring in mohammed sanu who fucking sucks like give me a break on these bad players just because you recognize the name and they were good three or four years ago adrian peterson he came in and played right away being a running back and adrian peterson is actually in shape unlike golden tate but being a running back and seeing the field is a lot easier than being a wide receiver to see the field. And there's a lot more nuance in playing the playing the position of wide receiver than there is in playing the position of running back. But they also recognize that Adrian Peterson was not that good and they cut him. Listen, if Golden Tate hasn't been elevated by now, I would be very surprised if he's elevated by the Steelers gang. And I think he's just insurance on the practice squad right now. Yes. That's exactly what he is. He is he is that torn up but somehow still holding air donut spare tire that you've got at home that is your absolute last choice if everything goes to hell and you need to put this thing on your car. I mean, that's exactly what he is. He's just an insurance policy. And you try not to read too much into something like one warm-up video, but that warm-up video was bad. It looked like um, Darren Rovell who everyone's always <laughs> yeah. clowning on Twitter. It looked like Darren Rovell running that 50 yard dash. It just awkward. It's what like a great comparison. <clears throat> it was terrible looking. I even me very athletic was like, God, that's, that's bad looking. So it didn't just, even look like he had learned, knows how to run a route. Like that's yes, what exactly. That's what's scary to me is like, it looked like that was his first time ever running a route. <laughs> it yeah, so it did. sloppy. It did. It looked like basically you were describing to a middle schooler, like, okay, here's advanced football. This is how you run around. It, it didn't look good. That's so, how you run a route when you're playing flag football with your, your uh, 40 year old YMCA buddies out there. <laughs> I tell you, it wasn't playing like they were the YMCA. These motherfuckers were playing like they were the NFL. That defense, the Titans defense had a field day on Sunday, four interceptions, three sacks, and get this held a team to eight rushing yards, eight. That is the only, that's the only time the Titans have done that in the Titans era. I think you have to go back to like the mid nineties as the Houston Oilers to find a game to which they held a team below 10 rushing yards. That's an incredible stat. I, I, I just don't even know what to say about that. That's incredible. I mean, it was a pick party, right? I mean, everything you wanted to see from this Tennessee Titans defense that you, that you haven't seen the last two losses. You got to see. You got to see 21 pressures. You got to see the Tennessee Tickle Monsters were back. You got to see that the you know the rush defense was dominating. And you got to see them force some turnovers. So that hadn't happened in the last two weeks. That the 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 defense, you know, really kind of fell off a little bit. And I, I think that had a little bit to do with just 13 straight games and they were just exhausted. I, I, I really do think that played into it. And you can see what a little bit of rest does for this team. Uh, I mean, 
I don't know why the Jaguars and, and told Jay Feely, if this is true, told Jay Feely that they wanted to target Christian Fulton. But whoever came up with that game plan should be fired. I don't know if it's Urban Meyer. I don't know if it's Daryl Bevel, Brian Schottenheimer. I don't know who saw that on film that they need to attack Christian Fulton. And they were like, okay, we have to attack him. He is the weak spot of this defense. Have you fucking watched any football this year? Like when Jay Feely said that, I was like, what the hell is he talking about? And and then he goes, of course, goes on Twitter and says, Well, that's what Trevor Lawrence told me. And I'm thinking, oh, buddy, Trevor, I don't, I don't know. Like to me, it's almost as if Trevor should have done what he did earlier in the week when they when they weren't playing James Robinson, said we need to play it some more. If someone would have told me, hey, we're going to attack their best cornerback constantly. I would say, are you, are you fucking out of your mind? There's Greg Mabin is right over here. Chris Jones is over here. Buster Screen, who's been in the league for 11 years, he's over here. Like, that's who you're going to uh, attack is Christian Fulton? This, this Titans defense put out the performance that you expect and you want against a low-level offense. This is the kind of performance they should have put on the uh, Texans, to be honest with you. And this is what I expected versus the Texans. I expected the Jaguars to put up a little bit more fight, but, you know, good on this defense for being prepared. And they get Bud Dupree back this week, hopefully. Hopefully he gets elevated off the, off the, off the injury reserve because, obviously, Bud Dupree revenge game is huge and massive. But they're also getting Zach Cunningham you know, which was, I thought was an improbability that I cannot believe that 27 to 28 other teams passed up on Zach Cunningham right now. Right. Because he is the a better version of Rashawn Evans, who I, I will give credit to. Rashawn Evans has been playing a lot better than what we expect him to be playing. I will say that he got the interception and had no clue what to do with it. He really like ran around in circles. I didn't get that. But... You get Zach Cunningham, that means you're going to have a really fresh linebacker core. And then you got your linebacker for the future to pair with David Long and maybe Jayon Brown. I got, I got to ask the question that they can't afford all three, Zach Cunningham, David Long, Jayon Brown. Well, sure they can, because Jayon Brown hasn't really played himself into some big contract. And last year, he only got $5 million. So there, there's nothing to say that he's going to get a big contract offer this year. Nothing about his performance on the field has said that so far. You know, he could get string in a couple of games in the playoffs and everybody's going to be like, oh, well, we got to get Jayon Brown. This is a really good defense that they are, they are working to keep together for at least a few more years because the athletic reported, and I don't even think we talked about this last week, but the athletic reported that they did this nice piece on uh, Harold Landry, right? And they reported that they're in talks of contract extensions with Harold Landry, which is exactly what you want to hear. You got Simmons' contract is coming up in a few years. I mean, he's going into his fourth year, so fifth-year option will obviously get picked up. So you got time with him. Got Danico Autry for a couple more years. Bud Dupree's obviously locked in. Now you got Zach Cunningham locked in at the linebacker spot. The only piece you really got to worry about is Christian Fulton and Amani Hooker, and I think both those will be able to get done. I think you're going to be able to see a good defensive core for a while here, 
And that's really good for this Titans team with Shane Bowen, with Jim Schwartz, with Mike Vrabel. You, you couldn't have asked for a better defensive core. Couldn't have asked for a better linebacker just to fall in your lap. I mean, Zach Cunningham just fell in your lap. That's like Jeffrey Simmons falling in your lap or A.J. Brown in the second round falling in your lap. That, that's just crazy to me that he fell. And when you add him and this Titans staff, they know him. They know how to use him. They know he, their, their expectations will be met. You add him, it's just add that to this defensive performance. If Zach Cunningham was out there, I, they may have had zero rush yards. I mean, like the Jaguars may not even had positive rush yards. And that's what's great about this team. Like I said earlier in the thing earlier in the show, this defensive performance is something you build upon going up against the Steelers this week, who are just a weird offense to go against. You just don't know what you're gonna get. You gotta be stay aggressive. And if the Titans can if that defense shows up the rest of the year. It's going to be a really tough team to beat going forward. That is the defense you want to see week in and week out. That's the unit that's going to carry you week over week while you're dealing with trying to get players like A.J. Brown and hopefully Derrick Henry back, right? I mean, you want a defensive unit stepping up the way they're stepping up, and they're not just gluing together some sort of like surprise performance. I mean, they've been building up to games like this all season and playing at a pretty consistent level, and then you have games like the Jaguars where they just – it all comes together and they pop off and you're exactly right. You still got two other pieces to look forward to of, of coming, you know, well, one coming back with Bud Dupree, but Cunningham, it's, it's funny how leading into the week and especially towards the end of the week, Vrabel was so, he was so fucking done talking about Cunningham. He literally walked out of a press conference. So he didn't have to talk about it anymore, but you kind of forgot about that piece going into the weekend. And then you come back and you're like, Oh, that's right. We've still got another pretty awesome piece to add that you acquired in waivers, which I'm like, you, you still don't even know how that happened. And Zach had to go eat Brussels sprouts live on the radio because of it. <laughs> um, I, all, all that to say this, <clears throat> this Titans team, it doesn't look great on offense, but you know, that there are better things coming and then there's still pieces that they need to work out with the O-line. Um, but this Titans defense is getting it done. And this team as a whole is getting it done as a unit that believes in each other. That's cheesy to say, and you hear that all the time in pro football, but you take around, take a look around the landscape of other teams, frustrations they have with their front offices, coaches, players. The Titans unit gets it done as a unit because they believe in each other and they believe in their coach. Unlike Urban Meyer. Oh man, Urban. Urban's had one of those weeks. That makes me almost forget all about Adam Gase. And uh, I, I, I'm not going to go into a deep dive into all of his crap just because I got to save some ammunition for him inevitably quitting or Shad Khan actually waking up on the right side of bed and firing him. But y- you start the week with it coming out that, <clears throat> excuse me, that Urban Meyer called his assistant coaches losers, said that I'm a winner, you're losers, you're basically the ones who are losing. You need to show your resume to me. What have you done? Uh, you kind of cap that off. Daryl Bevel showed him his Super Bowl mm-hmm. ring because Daryl Bevel has a Super Bowl ring, right? Not to mention, I would just—that's the mo- that's the moment you point to the scoreboard and you say, "Dude, dude, you're losing too." Like, it isn't like we're collecting the losses and you're somehow winning. You're losing too, bro. But <clears throat> he comes out on the field uh, for the Titans game. 
And he definitely had that weird chemistry or or there is no chemistry on the sidelines. It's like almost like the players don't want to stand near him. Now you've got that now infamous photo of during the national anthem, everybody's standing arm to arm and he's having to like reach out and grab the two elbows nearest to him because they've just got this huge gap in between the players and him. And boy, that post-game handshake looked like a man getting off a jet from a war zone. Just shell-shocked, didn't want to look Mike Vrabel in the face, limp-wristed, kept looking and working straight forward. I just don't, I don't, I can't get enough. Urban Meyer is an unmitigated disaster for the Jaguars. We said it on this podcast vehemently. I gave it an over-under of two years. The only the only way he's going to make it two years is because Shad Khan is not going to fire this man because for whatever reason, to save face or whatever it is. But it's incredible. It's incredible, and I can't get enough of it. Well, it's just funny that in the division, you have David Coley and Urban Meyer, who are both disasters of a head coach. But one guy is, is a super nice guy, and David Coley, and the other one is Satan himself. Like, uh, Urban Meyer is, like you said, a disaster, but he's a jerk, and he has accomplished nothing in the NFL. And Brady Quinn came to his defense on Monday saying that God. the media needs to lay off. They're, they've, they've just had it out for Urban the whole time. Really? Or, the same Urban Meyer that when he was hired, everybody was like, oh, and he's going to get Trevor Lawrence, and oh, they're going to do such great things, and blah, 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 blah. Spare me. The media fell all over themselves to talk about how great this uh, hire was. And then he started assembling a staff. And then he signed Tim Tebow. Uh, and then he signed that other guy that was a, that was a known racist. He brought all the media scrutiny, and the list goes on. He brought all the media scrutiny on himself after he made everybody look stupid because pretty much, at least in the Titans fan and local media, there were a lot of people that were against Urban Meyer as Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. that knew that he wasn't going to be anything. But there was a very, very large contingent of people who were scared of Urban Meyer in Jacksonville because he was good in college. And that, that's an SEC crossover issue is that people think just because you're good in college, you're going to be good in the pros. It's just not going to happen. There, there, was, there was nothing about Urban Meyer that screamed, I can handle 30-year-old or late 20 professionals and handle myself appropriately. You got to remember, this is the same guy that got choke slammed up against the wall by, by Mike Vrabel when they were both on the Ohio State staff because Mike, uh, Urban Meyer was doing the same thing that he was talked about doing this past weekend where he was just degrading a staffer and Mike Vrabel had had enough and slammed him up against the wall by his throat. I was so hoping that Mike Vrabel was going to choke slam him right on the middle of the field, right there on the uh, Titans tee. And he didn't. That's okay. You know, maybe there'll be another time where he can do that. But you, you could see the joy. Mike Vrabel knew that he was going to get the cold shoulder from Urban Meyer because Mike Vrabel is a troll. This is what he does. He lives for this. He lives for these moments where he could just stick it to someone that he, he doesn't like. And he does not like Urban Meyer. And 
when he was going to the middle of the field, he looked like a, a kid in a candy store knew, knowing that he was going to get away with being able to spend, you know, $300 on gummy worms. So that, that was that guy. And he, and then to see Urban Meyer just like, no, I, I'm not really feeling this. Urban Meyer has looked like he's been on the brink of throwing up in full games these last few games. Like, he's just done. I I think that if he he is going to try and find a way to force himself out of Jacksonville eventually, because if he quits, he doesn't get the money. But if he gets fired, he gets the money. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you need to sum up kind of the Urban Meyer experience so far, you can pretty much do it in two answers. One, he he gave a post game presser, obviously right after the Titans game, to where he said that. Uh, if he catches anybody from his staff or anybody on his team leaking to the media, you know, basically the story that came out the week before, uh, that they're, they're fired immediately. And he's, he's said this before. He said it at Ohio State. But, I mean, guess what, bro? You can get away with that crap in college. You, you can't really – you can't get away with that stuff now. Because in the pros, both coaches and specifically the players are getting paid a lot of money and are at the top of their league for what they're doing. You can't get away with that here. But actually, my favorite quote is from his Monday presser that just really sums up how out of touch this guy is. Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer was asked about Andre Cisco playing more again. He said Cisco is playing a little bit more, I believe. I don't have his numbers in front of me. Cisco played zero defensive snaps yesterday. He's just making up comments about players that weren't even on the field. This guy doesn't give a shit. He doesn't even know half his personnel on the field. He's just going through the motions, expecting his entire staff around him to put together wins, and he doesn't have to do it. And you're right. I think it's because he's checked out. He's not going to quit because he doesn't get the money. He wants to sit around and wait until he's going to get fired. Dude's an asshole. Doesn't that seem odd, though? Like, of all the coaches to come in in this hiring cycle, I would have thought that he would micromanage the most. Yes, And either he's lying about micromanaging, which is a very possible outcome here, or he's just thinks that he needs to be there and just show up on Sundays. Like, I I, I don't understand. I think it's somehow gone from he tried the micromanaging first and he tried to run the team like he's run college teams, which is a complete dictatorship. It's my way or the highway. Because especially with college players, you can get away with that. It's always next man up. You know, you got transfers coming in, whatever, right? I mean, your recruiting bench, it's always going to be deeper in college because you can't keep that many players on the team in, in the pros. Um, but college players, yeah, college players are making a little money now. They're not making NFL money. And so these guys are making money. They don't want to listen to your shit. They think you're hypocrites. I mean, that whole story about he when he came in and gave that speech about how disappointed he was in his behavior in Columbus when he was you know, running his hands to that chick's ass cheeks. Like they all apparently laughed at him and audibly as he left the locker room, they don't take this man seriously. So I think he knows that now. And he's basically just in the mindset of, I'm just going to pin everything on them. It's their fault. If I get fired, it's their fault. If we lose, it's their fault. The dude just sucks. And, and that's evidence of why he sucks. No accountability. He's a complete sociopath. I wish every bad thing for him on in the universe. And I, I want to, and I want to see more. I hope they do keep him around next year because this is delicious. As a kind of get fan. the feeling that they will. I think I we'll do give too. Him another year. <clears throat> I do too. If he hadn't been fired by, I mean, it's Tuesday. 
They could have fired him Monday. They could have fired him Tuesday. They haven't. I've and as a Titans fan, around. you want Urban Meyer to stick around because you want him to destroy yes. Trevor Lawrence. Like, sorry, sorry, Trevor. You had a chance to just back out and just force a trade. And you may try to do that in the offseason if they keep Urban Meyer. Because if I was Trevor, I'd be going in there and saying, it's either me or him. Who do you want I, to stick with? I, I know that. Yeah. I, and I just want Trevor Lawrence just to suck because he's a Jacksonville Jaguar. Now, if he was somewhere else, I wouldn't really care as long as he's not in AFC South. But I am all for these young quarterbacks that are division rivals having their careers ruined by poor coaching. I'm here for it. Sorry. Sorry. It's a business. Yeah. Um, well, the Titans have more business to do. Uh, they've got to go on and play the Steelers. <laughs> Let me throw this out there first. Mike Vrabel. Vrabel's usually pissed off at his press conferences after a win. It's it's very strange. After a loss, he's like cathartic and soothing to the press almost. And after a win, he comes in looking for a fight. It's it's odd, but hilarious. And I really do enjoy watching it. Um, he came in spicy yesterday, but not necessarily in a bad mood. But um, he had snipes for every single person in the press that was asking him questions. One of my favorite ones, and I don't know who asked it, was um, it's, it's a short week. In the sense that you know, after you play the Steelers, you're going to, have to play the 49ers again on a, on a, is it a Wednesday night or a Thursday night? So yeah, Thursday, um, how do you prepare your team for dealing with a short week after the Steelers? And he said, well, a win against the Steelers would help. That would really help the men's morale. Just real, so- you know, soothing and sarcastic. But um, he is right that I said it last week on the podcast. I said it on the post game. This win against the Steelers is essentially a must win. If you're looking for that one seed or trying to get as close to it as possible or to try to not even just the one seed to keep the pace of keeping a high seed leading into the playoffs, the way the Steelers stack up against like opponents, where they sit in the AFC, it's pretty much a must-win game. And for the Titans, especially, you know, like you said, you, you want the you want the Bud Dupree revenge game, but you want to see this unit continue to build off what they've done defensively. You want to give the offense some more chance to get themselves back in a rhythm uh, and, and let these healthy players that have come back, like Julio Jones, get more of, of an effort and a string on the field. So uh, to me, it's a must-win game. Am I off base in saying that? It's a must win in a sense that if if you want to have people believe in your team, you need to win this game because this is a six and six and one team and they're fourth in the, the AFC North. So they're still, even though they're six, six and one and four, they're still in the hunt for a wild card spot. So this team has something to play for, but also the Tennessee Titans have something to play for. And right now, the it is prime for some for you to basically just dominate this team. The, the, they don't have a good rush defense right now, which is very odd. And they don't really have a good pass defense. It, it's a very mediocre team when you get down and look at the numbers. I mean, they're the league ranked defense, they're 22nd in point, points against, you know, they're 27th in yards allowed. They're um, they aren't turning the ball over through the air a lot or forcing turnovers through the air a lot. You know, they only have eight. The defense only has eight interceptions. And you're talking about a team that's allowed the third most rushing yards. 
of the uh, in the NFL. And it's a very it's not a very Steelers esque team that you've seen. So this is this is a team that you should go up to Pittsburgh and dominate. And Minnesota gave you the formula. You run, you run, you run. Doesn't matter who you run with, just run it. And this, it seems like to me that the Steelers play into exactly what the Tennessee Titans want to do. And the Minnesota Vikings showed you what not to do. And this is something that the Titans are known to do so often, more often than not, and that is to let teams creep back in. You have to stay aggressive on defense and make sh- and stay on this team because he's throwing the worst thrown football I've seen in a long time. Maybe yeah. since um, Robbie Amell in um, uh, crap was that movie name, but it's the one. It's that he's the actor that throws it really weird, and everybody makes fun of. Like, who teaches these <laughs> actors to throw footballs? Um, that this that's what he's throwing i mean like he is it's terrible the offensive line is terrible this is this should match up so well so as a person who watches the titans games for a podcast and maybe to possibly go on the radio and analyze while i'm eating brussels sprouts i need to see this team put on a better overall performance than the Minnesota Vikings did against Steelers. I, I need, I don't have to see the points go up, right? I don't, I don't care about points as long as Titans win. I want to see a domination. I want to see this defense dominate like they did against Jacksonville. I want to see this defense put the pressure on, force some turnovers, and do that the whole game and not let up. I want to see the offense invoke its will again and be able to run the ball like they want to and keep the time of possession like they want to. And I, if, if they, if they won 20 to seven, that's a huge win in my book. You know, I, I don't need to see 35. I don't need to see 36 to 28. I just don't, I just don't care about that. I, w- I want to see this team dominate time of possession. I want to see this team force turnovers and be able to impose their will through four quarters of football consistently. And if you see that, then you're seeing that the t- this Titans team has turned the corner since the bye. And if you see that, if you see a dominating performance here, it's going to be very hard to bet against Tennessee Titans the rest of the way because that's what you need to see. You need to see two dominant performances back-to-back. 100%. I mean, you're dead on. And and the, the Steelers are one of those teams that if you let them hang around, somehow that sweaty bratwurst that has been Roethlisberger He's finding a way to get it done. I mean, the Vikings are notorious for giving up leads, especially over the last few years. Uh, no business letting the Steelers get back into that game um, on Thursday night. But, <clears throat> excuse me, the the Steelers somehow found an extra gear to be able to keep driving the ball against the Vikings, and suddenly they were back in, and it was a game. Late in the game, it almost looked like the Steelers were going to take it away. But as you as you watch their games they're not a good cohesive unit and you're right their defense is not nearly as good as they have been or should be on paper um and the Titans need to take advantage of that but they cannot let the Steelers hang around if they get their foot on their throat they need to keep driving I have no reason to believe that the Titans won't but the Titans have you know had some evidence in the in the this season of of letting trash teams hang around the Steelers aren't a trash team. They're a middling team. They reflect their record. 
Um, but the Titans are, are certainly better and can beat this team and they, and they need to get it done. So <clears throat> I, 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 it's still a must win for me in terms of, you know, they, I want to keep that playoff seating as high as possible. You want to keep this train rolling because, uh, you know, like I was saying, leading into this five game stretch, including the, the Jags, the Titans really, if they have any shot at one or, or probably holding on to the two, they can only drop one game. So let, let's let's just keep that train rolling and keep it moving forward. Yeah, the, the the biggest key to me, if I were the Tennessee Titans, I would make sure that Christian Fulton has a DK Metcalf like game where he gets in the head of Chase Claypool because this is Chase Claypool is obviously mentally weak and emotionally immature, and if you get Christian Fulton on Chase Claypool and get in his head and bother Chase Claypool. That's huge for your team. And the other thing is you got to make sure that Najee Harris is basically kept in check because really that was the spark was Najee Harris getting involved again. For whatever reason, they they struggle to really start getting him involved early in games. And to me, you want to force Ben Roethlisberger to have to win this game on his arm and if you can get Christian Fulton to get in the head of Chase Claypool and maybe get Chase Claypool to get a couple dumb penalties, you're you're going to be able to control that aspects of this game. And you're right. If you, if you want to be known, if you want to continue the trend of being in contention for that number one seed, right now with the quarterback injuries to in the AFC between Lamar Jackson and jo- Josh Allen, the Patriots' difficult schedule, and also the Ravens' very difficult schedule, you're in prime position as long as you keep winning. You control your own destiny. And if you keep winning and these other teams keep losing, your your real threat is Kansas City. You know, I said I needed to see before I started saying Kansas City's back. I needed to see a little bit more. Now, again, it's still the Raiders who mind-bogglingly decided that they were going to do the same defensive game plan that they did earlier in the year when they lost and let the Kansas City score 40 points. They decided to do it again. I have no fucking clue what is going on there, but they're the only two teams to play um, their the defense the way that they have this whole season against Kansas City. And they get blown out by 40 points. But this defense... Kansas City defense is continuing its hot trend. And when you have a hot unit like the Kansas City defense this late in the year, they're a force to be reckoned with because the the trend is it pretty much continues at this point. So you got to make sure that you keep on winning games to make sure that Kansas City has to come to you and you're not going to Kansas City. And you have to keep the foot on the pedal these last few games and just control your own destiny and just worry about your wins. And as long as Tennessee takes care of business, everything else should work itself out in a fashion that lets Tennessee be the number two seed at worst. Right. And that's, I mean, it's, it's lining up and and it's not Mike uh, Herndon, our former colleague put out, put out a good tweet yesterday about kind of what the path would be for the Titans to secure uh, the one seed by week 17. And I use that as an example of the Titans have it lined up, even as the two seed to where if, if things shake out the way they stand today, the Titans could essentially play at home through the playoffs all the way up to the AFC championship game 
that's assuming that the Patriots make it to the AFC Championship game. If the Patriots lose, the Titans could realistically sit at home the whole playoffs. That's the scenario you want. And you're right. This is seeing a Kansas City team heat up the way they're doing. You want to play that Kansas City team in Nashville. You don't want to have to travel to Kansas City in the playoffs with a team heating up the way they're heating up. Because I think we've seen that storyline before. So Titans need to get it done against the Steelers. They need to keep that consistency up. Um, I, I want to touch on uh, Lamar Jackson. When I was looking at his injury news this morning, that the Raiders, oh my God, the Ravens are expecting Lamar to play this weekend. Now he was carted off and it initially looked like, you know, you didn't know what was happening. Multiple game season injury, ending, but they're expecting him to play, but it is a sprained ankle. So, you know, does that hamper Lamar going forward? I mean, are, it, are, are the Ravens on the downslide now? of they're going to end up in a higher seed. They're not going to miss the playoffs, but they're going to end up in a higher seed. That's an interesting one to watch there. And it, does it take Baltimore out of the equation? Well, I mean, the Browns and Bengals are each, you know, seven and six while the Ravens are eight and five. And, you know, the Ravens play Green Bay, I believe, this week. So that that's not a great game. He need, he That was the worst possible timing for the the Ravens to have a ankle injury of all things for him to have is an ankle injury because, you know, he's not going to be 100%. And you're talking about a guy who doesn't win games through the air. He wins games because of his legs. And when you have an ankle injury where, you know, you need to get some, you push off, you know, to be able to do some of the stuff that he does really, really well by making people miss and juking and all that kind of stuff. That really hampers your game plan because that that's the same thing with the bills. I mean, you want the bills who are currently seven and six, you want Josh Allen to be a dual threat with his legs. Now, Josh Allen is, is a much better passer through the air than Lamar Jackson, but they're very similar in that these teams like to have the dual threat ability and some often lean on that dual threat ability to get them to wins. And with both of them suffering injuries, specifically Lamar Jackson at the worst time, they could easily start dropping some games that they shouldn't be, that they otherwise would have probably won. I mean, this, this Ravens team is not that great. But you're talking about they played the Packers, the Bengals, the Rams and the Steelers to close out the year. That's easily an 0 and 4 schedule. That's easily a 1 and 4 schedule. At best, I would say that's probably a 2 and 2 schedule. And especially because of how Lamar Jackson is sitting right now. That that is the terrible timing and I'm very happy. Sorry. I celebrate injuries. I don't care. He's still alive, right? He's breathing. He's going to have his ankle next year. There's always next year. Goodbye, Raptors. Don't feel sorry for you. Yeah, I I saw a take floating out there about, you know, you hate to see someone like Lamar injured because you, you want to see a team, you want to see teams at their full strength. No, you don't. No. You know, I mean, you don't. You, take the advantages that are giving to you. Think about all the teams to that took a, that had the chance to take advantage of the Tennessee Titans all yes. year. I don't give a flying fuck who is starting <clears throat> for the Pittsburgh Sears. I don't care if it's Mason Rudolph. I don't care if it's Ben Roethlisberger. Dwayne Haskins, look, 
I would rather the Titans play Dwayne Haskins-led Pittsburgh Steelers and a Ben Roethlisberger-led Pittsburgh Steelers. And I would gladly take whatever advantages comes Tennessee Titans' way. I'm going to take it. I do not care, especially a team like the Ravens, who purposely went out of their way to injure Chris Johnson in the playoffs a few, uh, just a, you know about 10 or 12 years ago. So spare me about this sportsmanship bullshit. I'll take whatever whatever – Whatever advantage the Tennessee Titans can get, I'll take. And if that means seeing the Ravens, you know, Lamar Jackson get, you know, suffer an ankle sprain and he's just not the quarterback that he used to be, tough shit. I don't give a shit. Like, fuck the Ravens. Fuck all these other teams. Why do why I just like the opening says, I'm sick of your kim, kumbaya bullshit. Take let's the Titans did not get any breaks this year. Let's get some breaks and let's celebrate them. I'm here to celebrate. Pop the champagne. Lamar Jackson's injured. Josh Allen's injured. I'll pop some, give me some, some brute champagne and let's just go to town and do some mimosas. Titans and Steelers. Fireball shots for everybody. <laughs> Titans and Steelers on Sunday at noon. Uh, and then the Titans have a short week leading into uh, San Francisco at home. So let, let's see what they do. Uh, thank you for tuning in as always. We really appreciate it. It's football and other F words. Rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Come check us out at 440. I did forget to mention today, uh, we have other 440 podcasts that are out there. Make sure you check those out. Tune in, enjoy them, and tell people that you listen to us. Uh, for Zach and myself, you've just been effed. A Broadway sports media production.